0: This week, Radio Drama Revival is brought to you by Audio Fiction 101, the course that can teach you about thrills, chills, uh, grills? Uh, I feel like David does everything in threes. Does that feel right to you, Rashika? Oh yeah, doing a bit in threes is definitely a David thing. But you're hosting this episode, Ellie. Do an Ellie thing. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what that looks like. What are you working on? Well... This is supposed to be a monitor for this pulsar in the Crab Nebula, which should sound something like popcorn popping in another room. (sighs) But it doesn't work. Are you getting any sound at all? Do you need to purchase Audio Fiction 101, the course that can teach you about writing an audio drama with rigorous drills and worksheets to solve narrative challenges? Ellie, you aren't recording this, are you? Like you did with David? No, I'm just rehearsing. Relax. What's wrong with your doohickey? Here, put these headphones on. That's a goat. Yeah. A space goat. Yeah. What gives, Ellie? You're the astrophysicist. How should I know? The creators of Audio Fiction 101 made Wolf 359, not Goat 359. That would have been a very different show. Same with zero hours. Zero goats? Oh man, time goats! Hold on, you are one of two people with access to goats in this team? Okay, first of all, my boyfriend's goats are in Oregon. We could be in Oregon. Oregon's like beyond space and time. Well, you aren't technically wrong. But second... If any of us had access to goats that could reach across space and time, we wouldn't be able to apply for Audio Fiction 101's need-based scholarship. Curious applicants can learn about it at learn.fearofpublicshame.com. Or maybe you're just picking up Fred's goats. You know, the ones outside. So we're in Maine. Radio Drama Revival is Fred's brainchild. I just assumed he would bring his goats along to, uh, wherever. Now help me with the rest of this ad. I think the jingle needs to go here. Do Hone your craft Hone your style Make them laugh With Audie Fiction 101 You can learn
1: all the tips and tricks From Zach and Sarah And learn to master
0: five-act plot structure As well With Gabriel, it's a smorgasbord of learning Grab a napkin and your yearning Set the table if you're able And
1: have fun With 101 ring the wow
0: it's all there ask us how with audio fiction 101 go to learn.fearofpublicshame.com when you're ready to check out click the gray have a coupon text and enter the code radiodrama all one word for 15 percent off your order hey that sounds good yeah i think you nailed it come on let's go goat hunting better plan you go goat hunting and, uh, I'm gonna go take a nap. Later! I can't go goat hunting with myself. <sighs> Sometimes I wish there were two of me. Uh... Oh. Oh no. This week, anxiety with a dose of superpowers, the perils of the suffering for your art mentality, and the power of friendship. I'm sitting down with Super Ordinary's writer and creator Marissa Tandon to talk about fame, the press, and the role of superhero stories right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hey folks, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host for today, Elena Fernandez-Collins, here to wrap up our Super Ordinary Feature. Back in October of last year, I went to the Austin Film Festival, as I try to do every year now, to attend their fiction podcast track, live tweet panels, and interview creators. I got to interview Marissa live in a recording studio provided by the conference. Thank you, AFF. If you haven't been to this festival, I highly recommend it. They even have a fiction podcast script competition in which Super Ordinary participated in, as well as other podcasts you may be familiar with if you listen to the show, like The Amelia Project. That interview is finally here for your listening pleasure. Marissa is the founder of Tandem Productions, a podcast production company that currently has three fiction podcasts in production, Super Ordinary, The Sword and Stoner, and the upcoming His Royal Fake and Highness coming out on February 29th. She's a poised and hilarious interviewee. She used to do stand-up in Los Angeles, and I've learned so much from talking with her, and I hope you do too. Let's tune in, shall we? Hi, Marissa, thank you so much for coming on to Radio Drama Revival with us today. Of course, thanks for having me. Yeah, Um, how is the Austin Film Festival treating you?
1: It's going super well. I'm exhausted. It's been raining, (laughs) which was terrifying. I don't like the rain. (laughs) Uh, yeah, but it's been going well, really well. I love, I love Austin. Going back every year is my favorite thing in the world.
0: Awesome! For all of our listeners today, uh, we're recording live at the Austin Film Festival um, at the Driscoll Hotel, and they have been very kind in giving us a really great recording setup, and um, we're really excited about it. So let's talk about Super Ordinary, which is your uh, let us say flagship podcast. Sure. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So first of all, you're one of the many audio drama dramatists who um, graduated from Emerson College. I keep saying there must be something in the water. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about your journey from Emerson to the Austin Film Festival, which, where you said before, you were inspired to start uh, Super Ordinary.
1: Sure. Um, so I went to Emerson. I graduated in 2017, and I didn't know any. I didn't do any audio stuff at all at Emerson. I was there for TV writing, um, or technically writing for film and television. Uh yeah, right. Yeah, so like WTF, I think, was technically our abbreviation, which is always fun. But Emerson is a really big proponent of talking about the Austin Film Festival. Um so we have a club at Emerson called Spec, which is like a screenwriting thing where you can workshop scripts and get notes uh, from your peers and from people above you in the screenwriting program. So it's all student run. And so that was one of the big organizations I was involved with. And every year the board, like the president, vice president and so on, went to Austin. Like they got to go as part of our school thing and, and go to the festival. And they always came back and they were like, I met so many people. I learned so much. It was the best experience in my life. So I was like, I'm going to be on board so I can go to the Austin Film Festival. It was the only reason I wanted to do it. Um, (laughs) And then I got on the board my senior year and uh, we didn't get to go. It was the first year we didn't go.
0: Oh my God, no.
1: (laughs) So then I was like, okay, well, I have to figure it out. I guess the only way to go is to submit. So the next year I graduated, obviously, and I submitted um, for a TV, a TV script. And then it was the first year the Austin Film Festival was doing the fiction podcast competition. So they had like an email, like a marketing email that was like, all, you should also submit for fiction podcasts this is like a thing that exists and I was like oh what like oh, I don't understand like you want me to <laughs> write out a conversation between two like do you script a podcast uh, and I I so I had I had no clue like what it was um until I got that email and then I kind of like did some research and I was like okay like I have like I have a a story I've been working on, like all, this could work for audio. And I wrote a version of Super Ordinary that got into the festival. So then when I came, I came and did both the TV programming and the podcasting programming. And I met so many cool podcasters when I came here my first year. Um, That's where I met Lauren Shippen. Uh, that was where I met Megan Fitzmartin of Red Rhino. That's where I met Ashley Quodge of, of Deck the Halls with Matrimony. Um and I just and I stayed in touch with all of them. Um, and again like mind you everyone knew who Lauren was and I was like I don't I don't know what a podcast is. Like <laughs> I don't understand you're just like a nice person. <laughs> um and they all happen to live in LA so we like moved back or went back I guess not moved. Um so we like came back and grabbed coffee and like chatted and I was working in TV at the time in development and was absolutely hating it because it's where you start. Uh so as a coordinator and the development side of things is really ugly if you're a writer. If you're on the if you prefer to be on the creative side, being on the development side sucks because you're seeing like everything that has to get cut and casting and how casting works and how writers get chosen and how shows do or don't make it. And it's all the stuff that you like, like it's the, if you worked behind the scenes at a restaurant, you'd never eat there again, kind
0: of thing. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So I was doing that and I had like moved my way up. I was was a coordinator and I was doing well and I um, was just so far away from what I wanted to do. And I was talking to these really cool women who were doing exactly what they wanted to do and making the thing. Um, And I felt like I had just been waiting for someone to tell me the show that I wanted to write was was worth being made. And these people were like, I know it's worth being made, so I'm gonna make it. And I they I, they were really encouraging and they're like, you just have to make it. Lauren finally at one point was like you just have to do it. Um and so I did. So <laughs> uh and now that is super ordinary. Yeah.
0: And now you're what, writing your fourth season now?
1: Yeah, writing season four. Um yeah. Yeah yeah,
0: yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> I'm really glad that you got to come here to get inspired then that way from such a great group of people. All those names that you named, they're all wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful people. Um So just for the purposes of, of this conversation, we're going to stick mostly with season one so that we don't spoil any listeners who haven't listened to The Superordinary. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, Before we dig into some of the other stuff about Super Ordinary, I'm also fascinated by the uh, season one photography of the cast for Super Ordinary. To describe it a little for people who haven't seen it, the cast has been painted with streaks of dark and red makeup uh, down from the eyes and across their cheeks. It looks a little bit like scratches. Uh, Listeners, the link is going to be in the show notes so you can see them. So what made you decide to go this route for headshots and performer uh, photos? Does it hold meaning for you that might not be readily apparent to most viewers?
1: Yeah, so um, Super Ordinary—sometimes I say super because that's what it was called for so long when I was working on it. Um, but Super Ordinary was this thing that I had been working on in college, and I'd, I, I'm a really visual person, so I have—which um, is hilarious because I work in audio, but— um, <laughs> But but I'm a really visual person, so I kind of, I knew I wanted something other than just our show art to promote the show and to kind of do everything like that. Um, And I knew one thing that I really was kind of missing when I was looking at other shows was knowing what the actors looked like um, and kind of knowing kind of the people behind it, the voices behind it. I really wanted more of that, I wanted, so I wanted our cast to be really front and center, um, even though you're only hearing their voices. So I knew I wanted to do a photo shoot of some sort to be able to promote and have everyone's faces out there. And my little sister, Alexandra, who does uh, All In My Head, that's her show, um, she is a makeup artist. So I sat down with her and I was like, I want to do something. Cool. Like I, I'm a photographer, so I grew up. Like I have like a really clear sense of what I want. I know I want the photos to feel like this and look like this, and I know I want it to be, um, you know, superhero reminiscent. But Super Ordinary is so far from just a classic superhero show. I didn't want people in spandex or like running around or you know in like costumes.
0: Trying <laughs> to imagine Annika in spandex. Yeah, it's right. Just not just working. Work. <laughs> no. like,
1: so I knew I wanted something that kind of like still showed people their face, uh, but also kind of showed a distortion, which is a lot about, we we settled on the color scheme because it's a lot about the darkness inside of you um, coming out to be something really spectacular. Um, so I wanted close shots. I wanted something that, that felt really close and really personal, but also a color scheme that fit kind of the mood of the first thing you see when you look at it, you're like, oh, that's so cool. It's really striking. It's so cool you have superpowers. And then you kind of look at it a little bit more and you're like, well, it's kind of messy. It's kind of like taking over your face. It's a real mess to get off. Like you can't, like it took hours. Like people are like sitting there with makeup wipes after like for a really long time. Um, and it's it's hard to get away with from and it's not clean and it's not cut. And that's where a lot of their powers and everything comes from. It's something that sounds cool really at the beginning. And then as you dig into it, you realize like, ah, maybe it's not the coolest thing.
0: That's amazing. First of all, like that's that's actually pretty much exactly what I was hoping for when I asked this question. Uh, when I wrote it, I was just like, it's gonna be really embarrassing if I ask this question. It's just like I just thought that the makeup was cool. I just like
1: I like cool stuff. <laughs>
0: stuff. I, like, I like things that look that way. <laughs> <laughs> so, Super Ordinary um, deals explicitly with anxiety and mental health issues. And it explores a common trope, especially in horror stories where antagonists are often distinguished by their stigmatized mental illnesses. So how did you hope to interrogate this narrative with Super Ordinary?
1: Yeah, um, so when I started, I knew I wanted to write something about a villain. Like I wanted to write something about a super villain. My my favorite superhero narratives. I'm a big Marvel kid. Like I grew up on the comics, the movies are a huge big deal for me. Um, And like really informative for my work. And my favorite, superhero is Iron Man, Tony Stark. And the coolest thing about him and the coolest thing about every hero, I think, um, is always the part that you're like, oh, that doesn't really make you a hero. You're kind of like uh, not a cool dude. You know what I mean? Like you have some bad stuff going on and you're a hero in spite. Um, So I wanted to kind of explore that from the other side. Um, And from that, I feel like I kind of moved into... The idea of okay, anxiety is something that everyone kind of has a little bit of to some degree. Um, people get nervous talking to people, people get nervous going on stage, people get nervous like for a lot of other things, you know what I mean? Um, some people have it in a very extensive degree, some people have it just in the degree of like I don't really want to be around people today. Um, but it's something that everyone has and it's something that I think is stigmatized really heavily because everyone has a degree of it and it's the last thing that you want to talk about, right? Because If someone's like, I have panic attacks, I have really bad anxiety, you don't want to believe that you could do that. And when they talk about it, you can relate to it. And so that scares you. And therefore, no one really talks about anxiety. And so from that, I was like, okay, well, if we go with anxiety, that is something that would be villainized, right? Because it's kind of, it's that same thing where you can't talk about it because no one wants to deal with it. And we tend to villainize as a society, either things we don't understand or things that we understand too closely and we don't want to. Um, And so that's kind of where I wanted to explore. I wanted to go through and see like... If it's something from that narrative, like if we're going from something that people can't can't deal with, like just have no desire to talk about at all, that would expand to her being villainized to some degree. So that was what I wanted to go through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so for this one, Marissa, you just stop me if I hit something too sensitive. Um, you just say skip it and okay. make a sign or something. Cool. Um, do you live with a mental illness?
1: Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say like I personally. I mean, I think I'm not diagnosed, not like yeah. anything like that, no. Okay.
0: But you have incorporated your experiences, I think, or experiences of people close to you um, into Super Ordinary?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. I mean, um, again, like I said, like I think, I think people have anxiety to varying degrees, and it comes and goes, and things can make things worse, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So um, what stigma have you maybe had to deal with, whether it's external or internal, right? And what was it about those experiences that gave you the idea to focus on Annika as a character and the perception that Annika has in Subordinary? Sure.
1: Um, I think a lot of it, I was, when I started writing, I was at art school. And I think when you put a group of young people in a room and they try to get a degree doing something that has this idea of suffering attached to it, it becomes a very big concept of, well, it's good that this bad thing happened because you can write about it or you can put it into your acting um, or you can direct in a way that you understand it. And therefore, I think a lot of people don't get the help that they need, right? Because, or or they lean into suffering to a degree because there's this idea that's perpetuated outside in society that if you're an artist, you have to suffer because, there's no way to make art if you haven't suffered, um, which I think is a really harmful narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was I was dealing with that at school because it was I I you know I I was really lonely in, in Boston. It's cold. I had never been in the winter. Like I was so far from my family and really close to my family. Um, I grew up in LA and I moved to Boston. I was just so far from everything that like I knew and cared about and. Uh, Boston also has like three days of sunshine which is so not good for anyone. <laughs>
0: yeah. We went to Portland after growing oh, up in God. Puerto Rico. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, bad. Yeah. It's just, it was a really big shock to the system. You know what I mean? Um, and I'd, I'd grown up with really, really, really close friendships. So I was really used to having this like close group of girls that I, I went to an all-girls school. So I started in seventh grade and I've known the same people and been with the same people since I was 12 years old. Um, and then we all scattered across the, world, the country and some people went out of, sta- out, of out of the country for, for college. And so it was, it was really kind of like lost to a degree. Um, there was just this stigma at school of like, well, that's good. Like it's good to have to explore how you feel and like go through that but not exploring it in a healthy way of going to therapy or like, <laughs> which is a thing that you can do it's so fine <laughs> um it's so good for you um so it was this kind of idea of like okay like let's let's sit in a room and like drink and like uh just feel our feelings and I was like guys that's like like i but I, you know you get caught up in that like that's, that's what everyone's doing and you people that you respect and people that are making great work and so it's um and you know and also like everyone you're studying also did the same thing you know like everyone who made like you watch a great movie and you're like oh that was amazing like i wonder why they made that and you know you watch like um you watch like the dark knight right and and the joker is one of the best performances ever um heath ledger killed it but heath ledger also talks so much about um or keith ledger used to talk so much about what space he put himself in and how he got there and why it was important and all that. And obviously it wasn't a great place for him to be in for his art, quote unquote. Like, there's there's so many harmful narratives, I think, in how to deal with things as an artist. And there's like this idea that it, it sounds really romantic, right? Like, oh, you're creating something out of your pain. Like, that's what we're supposed to do. That's why we're here. But it also means you're not healthy. Like, you're not doing what you need to do. And so I just found myself, like, kind of trapped in that world of, like, all of us are just here to feel our feelings and, like, make something dark out of it. Um, I hated it. Um, But I think I wanted to kind of deal with, okay, like, this is how I'm feeling. Like, I'm anxious today. Like, I I don't want to go to class. Like, I don't want to be around people that I don't like or might, like – not like my work or, or all that. And you're in just a creative environment every day where all you're doing is exposing your work. Um, I was taking workshop classes every semester, which is great. I really worked really hard and wrote a lot and whatever, but it's also, okay, every single day, something you wrote is being ripped to shreds in front of you and it's something you cared about and those kinds of things. So I, I was like, oh, this, is, this is how I feel. I feel stressed all the time. And I also feel like I can't talk about it because if I talk about it, people are like, yeah, you're supposed to be stressed. You're supposed to be nervous. Like This is how it works. Um, and I wanted to deal with that. Like, so then I felt like, okay, so I have a couple people I can talk to. I, have, like, I call my family and talk about that. And they can be like, yeah, that's not normal. <laughs> it's not good. Um, Validate and, your feelings and, that
0: like, eh, this doesn't yeah, feel right. right. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh,
1: this feels gross. They're like, yeah, it's because it's gross. Like, calm down. Like, it's not good. Um, and, you know, I talked I talk to... I talked to friends that weren't in the arts, that were going to school for other things, and I think um, I think we had grown up in such a stress culture. I went to like a really competitive high school, um, and there's always this idea of like, oh, well, I'm taking five APs, and like, blah, blah blah. Well, I'm taking six, and like, I'm also taking these other classes, and I have this internship, blah blah. blah. And it's like this competition to see who can be more unhappy almost, um, and I think we had all grown up in that culture. And I finally was like, I just don't, I just don't think this is good, um, and I knew it was something outside of the arts to a degree. Like my friends that were studying medicine um, and am on track to go to med school we were already panicked about grad school freshman year um, and so it kind of it kind of just built and built and built and I finally was like I just want to write something that that deals with how I feel about the fact that a lot of people feel like they can't get help and like what happens when you don't like I think a lot of people have written great things about people who do get help and how to, how to you know make moves through that but there are so many people, for so many reasons, that feel like you can't talk to anyone about it. And it gets so much worse, and it gets uncontrollable. And that's kind of where Annika came from. Because um, if Annika had talked to someone, maybe things would be okay. <laughs> <laughs> just once, Just once, <laughs> just
0: find someone. I see this a lot in the in the slam poetry scene, right? Okay. Um, yeah, I see this a lot in the slam poetry, where you're supposed to stand up on a stage and you're supposed to create art out of your trauma. Right. Right has been a subject of concern in slam poetry circles especially recently yeah but would you say that writing is super ordinary uh was cathartic for you i do yeah i think i think writing for me
1: overall i think now that i've grown up a bit uh is always cathartic to some degree there's always something that i think you're getting out because otherwise you're even if you're writing comedy like when i when i work on story and stoner that's cathartic for me because i get to laugh and i get to have a good time um Writing Super Ordinary is cathartic even in a degree that can sometimes be like, okay, I'm exhausted, um, but I feel like I got something on the page. Yeah.
0: Super ordinaries, superheroes, and, and villains, <laughs> maybe, um, are, are celebrities. Mm-hmm. Their actions and opinions are synthesized into gossip columns and headlines. People stand them or despise them, love them, fear them. So what are you saying here about celebrity culture? That's so interesting. No one has
1: asked me about that aspect of the show. Um, I mean, I think it started out as the, the fact that, I mean, if people were running around flying and, and doing and blowing things up and I almost cursed and I don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, if you think about it, like, People have superpowers and they're doing supernatural things. And to a degree, it's going to be public at a certain point. Um, and that's going to be something that people obsess over. I, so I think that was a, a just a world building thing that's that has to happen. Like, there's no way that, I mean, maybe there is. Maybe there are people running around blowing things up that we don't know about. But <laughs> like, I do feel like if tomorrow someone blew up a city block in New York because they could do it with their mind, like we would find out. And it would be a celebrity aspect of things. Um, so I didn't see a world in which we could do it without it being public and without it being a celebrity aspect. But I also, uh, I did grow up in LA um, and I did work in the TV industry and the film industry, industry for a while. And I also I also was a stand-up comedian and I did improv. Um, so I'm really used to being on stage. And there's a public and private life, right, that comes from all that. And I was used to that concept from a young age because I had friends that, um, their parents worked in the industry. I had friends who were acting when we were really young. I had a friend who did a really big movie right before we graduated. Um, and it, it changes kind of who you are as a person and, and it changes the way that you can respond to things um, because people are paying attention to you. And there's, so like on a grand scale, like there is this level of when you get some sort of notoriety, whether it's good or bad. Um, whether it's something that like you want to be known for or you don't, you are then known for that thing. Um, and it creates, I think, a divide, right? So like when I'm on stage, I'm talking about myself very personally. I talk, I talk about very personal things that I think are funny. Um, but those are my experiences, but it's also a character that you've crafted to be on stage with. And then when I step off stage, I'm not that person necessarily. Um, so I just I wanted to explore that divide a little bit and also kind of explore the fact that like with our heroes, those those things are still coming from like a, a part of themselves that they don't, they're not happy about. Their powers are still coming from a thing that they maybe don't want to be public, but it is a public persona and you have to kind of spin, right? Like we live in this world where everyone has a public and private persona because of the internet. So... Your Instagram has to be the best parts of your life. Every single day you're like, oh my God, I'm having brunch today. Like, it's just so great. <laughs> and like, no one's posting the fact that they were like sobbing into their mimosa because they're having brunch because they had a horrible week. You're not posting like, I was crying in the bathroom at work today. Like, I'm so beautiful. You're not. Like, no one's talking about that, right? So it is it is even even beyond fame, each individual person now because of the society we live in has this persona that's public, and has a persona that's private, and there's a divide, and I think I wanted to explore what that meant for your mental health and your way of living, right? Because um, it does affect people to a huge degree.
0: How do you think that you would handle fame on the scale of Annika's? Oh,
1: God. Um, I like to think I have people in my life that, that are really grounding, um, which I think is something Annika's missing. Uh I don't, I, I like to think that I'd be an okay person. (laughs) I think, I think, uh, I mean, I am a, I am a people person, which is very different than Annika. Um, I really enjoy being around people and talking and chilling and, um, and meeting new people and, and learning things about that. So for me, I really love that. I really love, I don't know. I I really love being exposed to people, which I think is fun. I love being on stage. I love making people laugh. So luckily I, I do enjoy those parts of things. I'm very extroverted in that way. Um, but I do know, like even just from the minimal stuff, like when I've gotten the chance to meet people who listen to super um, ordinary, super ordinary, <laughs> um, and they've been moved by the show, then I'm instantly like, oh my god, uh, uh, like so nice to meet you, <laughs> um, and I clam up. So I think, I think, yeah, but I do, I do think I have, I have a really great support system. So I think I would be hopefully
0: okay. I think so too. <laughs> So you, we've talk, you've talked a little bit about here, about um, celebrity culture and the way that, that we have public and private personas. And in Super Ordinary, you've got uh, these central characters who are journalists, right? What are your thoughts on how journalists in particular cover celebrities? Sure. Um, I think there's
1: a lot of space to be better. Um, I think... Again, because of the internet, we have this need to have constant content coming out, which means that a lot of the content is content that um, maybe isn't the best, <laughs> um, maybe maybe isn't super true, maybe isn't super factual, um, or just maybe isn't something that should be in the public eye. I, I, I hate seeing things every time when someone's just trying to get help, like, oh, someone goes to rehab. Yeah, let them go to rehab. Like, let them have that and not be a public moment. Um, I can, one of the most interesting things that's happened recently is prince harry suing the press over their treatment of meghan markle and and bringing up the fact that his mother like princess diana died because of how the press ran and i think i, I think it's 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 something that i think should be a lot more ethical than we're currently doing it
0: yeah
1: that's my feel i completely agree with you
0: <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. so you you have a production house, right? yeah, Tandon yeah. Productions. Yep. You've got a ton of irons in the fire. You currently produce three fiction podcasts, yep. including Super Ordinary, one non-fiction roundtable, mm-hmm. and you've got two more fiction podcasts and No Drink Men in pre-production. Yeah, those, I think those are what yeah. we've announced before okay. I get in trouble for taking yeah. something else. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Well, that's what I found on the internet. So, <laughs> so what, what is it about audio? Mm-hmm. Um, that's enticing you to both create and support its production as some of these podcasts are written and created by other people on your team?
1: Sure. Um, audio specifically as a medium, I think, is obviously not brand new. It's been around forever, but it's having a bit of a moment right now. Um, and I think the reason it is is that it's the, uh, there's something about uh, I think the way our world works now where you're multitasking, right? I want to watch this TV show, but I also need to go to the gym, I need to drive to work, I need to do my laundry, I need to uh, do my homework, I need to do X, Y, Z, right? Um, and that, I think, has driven a lot of people to podcasts. That's how I started listening to podcasts. Um, I was driving, and I was competing an hour and a half to work every day. So I started listening to stuff, because at a certain point, music is exhausting, you don't listen, you've, listened, you've run out of everything. So I think audio is kind of having this moment where, where people are kind of gravitating to it. But the shows that we've done, there's a reason they're audio shows. Uh, shows that I don't specifically write myself that we've put um, resources behind all in my head is so scary. <laughs> it, is, it is so good and so terrifying. And uh, I mean, my sister created that show and, and she was 19 when she wrote season one and she wrote and directed it and completely ran that show at 19. And it was it was really fun to be able to have her do that because I think audio – I think people look at it as a, as a stair stepper to some degree. I don't think it is. I think it is a medium in itself and should be respected and all that kind of stuff. But, but it it is also something that you can learn with less training. I think going off the bat when you want to start, um, if you want to make a short film, like you need a team of thirty people to you know get and and get it all done and, and have actors and have writers and a director and lighting and money and, and all these different things. So it's hard to invest in someone who's never done it before. But if you can't invest in someone who's never done it before, then, then that person can't ever do it. Right. So do you think audio gives you a chance to, to learn things about storytelling in a lower stakes environment to a degree? And it also, uh, it also forces you, I, I think, to be a better writer, in my opinion. I said this yesterday on one of my panels, but. I, I went to school for screenwriting. I went to school and learned how to write and learned how to be visual. And then when I went into audio, I was like, I, every part of this has to be perfect. Because if not, I can't be like, well, it's really pretty to look at. So there's so many movies I have watched and seen and been like, oh, I mean, the
0: story sucked, but it was so pretty. Got
1: an award like, for cinematography. Yeah. There you go. But that is a craft. Like, that's great. And so you have a lot more chances to be wrong about something in a visual medium than you do in audio. Because if, if you don't have me in three minutes, because I can't I can't see it. I can't be like, I'm watching this because that actor is so hot. I just want to enjoy watching him on screen. Or I want to see these hills of Ireland that we're filming at or whatever. There's, you, it's, it, the story has to be good. The acting has to be good. The writing has to be good. The sounds like has to be good. And so it forces you to be like, everything counts, everything matters, everything has to be good. Um, so I really like that. And I think that's why we've kind of put a lot of time into audio. And we've put a lot of time into training writers to write for audio. The, our new shows, writer, uh, His Royal Fink and Highness and Sponsor, both of those we brought in writers who had never written for audio for before. Um, Mia Kadama, who plays Annika, wrote on Sponsor. She is a TV writer, and uh, she's a very visual person. She's an incredible actress. And I was like, I really want you to come in and, and start writing. Like, I, I want you to bubble down and try it out. And she did a great job. We had Jennifer Finkels on that show, too. She had never written um, for audio. Uh, His Royal Fake and Highness is uh, Kelly Gregg, who I did comedy with um, and had never really written a script before. And she's an incredible comedian. Like, she's... Improv is storytelling and it is writing on stage to a degree, um, but she had never done. She's in law school right now. Like she's wow, yeah, wow. nice. <laughs> she, she's doing. She's in law school. She's just she's a practical woman. I love her. And our other writer on that show is Alex Wizenhunt, um, who lives in New York, and we went to college together, and has also never written for audio. So I think, I think it gives you a chance to kind of bring people in, teach people how to do things, and really give space for people to grow. Because you do have kind of, it it is a training ground. Like, it is a space to be able to say, like, okay, everything you know about what to lean on doesn't count anymore. So figure out how to write better.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm really impressed by all of the mentorship that Tandem Productions is clearly, obviously doing. That's really impressive. And I think we need more of that Mm -hmm. in the audio space. Uh, But what is your pie-in-the-sky dream for Tandem Productions? Oh, man. Um, I don't know, man. I think... uh, I think we
1: are looking at doing other things outside of audio. Um, we have always put a lot of visual uh, video in our promotion and in our, um, in our work. And so there's certain things that I think are suited. Some of our stories that we want to do are suited for video and suited for kind of a split between audio and video and, and things like that. But I also, I, I love what we're doing right now. Like, I, I know that sounds cheesy. I want us to continue doing what we're doing on a grander scale. I want to continue bringing in, people who, who might not have opportunities elsewhere and, and help them do that. And I want to continue making shows that probably wouldn't have a home elsewhere. Um, I don't know that, that Super Ordinary could have been really mainstream on TV off the bat. I think, uh, I think again, it's we're talking about stuff that people don't necessarily want to talk about. Um, so, you know, I, I want to keep taking those shows that, that maybe don't have a life to start somewhere else. And give them that space to be what they should be.
0: It's oh, wonderful. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are critics out there who still still in 2019 hide or ignore the power of fiction behind disdain for, quote, unquote genre fiction, right? <laughs> and calling <Yeah>. things <laughs> literary in order to avoid the genre label. okay um, But of course, all forms of fiction can change lives, of course. so. What has fiction done for you, either as a consumer or a creator, or even just a person in the world, which ones have changed your life? Sure. I mean, uh, I would not be who I
1: am if it weren't for genre fiction. That—that um, that is, I am—I'm such a big. I mean, I love indie films. I, I watch weird stuff. I just saw the Lighthouse. I love. I, you know, I had a great time with it. Um, I, I love things like that. I love little things that people don't care about. Um, but uh, I, I, you know, <laughs> more people should care about or whatever. But I also. I mean, I think. You know, we live in a world where, and I think this is an art school thing that I had dealt with a lot. Like, I love comic book movies. Like, I love superheroes. I To a to probably uncomfortable degree. Like, it, I wrote my thesis on it. Like, I really, really, really love superheroes. Um, and, you know, Iron Man, um, I used to be a software engineer. And I think I'm not to the same degree or whatever, but I saw myself a lot in Tony Stark growing up, um, which helped me deal with certain things. Like, if you can see yourself... Personality-wise, obviously, I am not a rich billionaire man running around in an iron suit. Obviously, I mean, we can all dream, but really. <laughs> but uh, but you know, I saw I saw myself in that. I saw I saw certain things I was dealing with in someone who was celebrated and was really cool, and everyone wanted to be and everyone loved. And kids enjoy that. Kids love that. Adults love that. And there's nothing wrong with loving that. I think. Um, I, again, it kind of goes back to like have a good time, like enjoy things. And I think genre fiction has the chance and mainstream fiction has the chance to change minds that maybe wouldn't have been changed otherwise, right? So uh, everyone's going to go see a Marvel movie. Everyone. It, it, it is it is at the point. Even if you don't like them, you're still going to go. Um, it it not- just, you know, it's, it is it is what it is. So to have that level of power, right, to be able to say, I mean, we could make whatever we want and you're going to come see it, there's a level of like, cool, we can we can do what we want now because we've built that on this core group of people, Um and, like, I've I've had conversations with men that have changed because of Captain Marvel. I've had conversations with people who've, who've changed their minds because of Black Panther. I've seen little kids that are like, I want to be Black Panther. And they're like, that's that's so cool. Like, it, it's I've seen young girls dressed up as Captain Marvel. I've seen young boys dressed up as Captain Marvel. I think, like, having that level of power and having that level of influence, you can do things that are fun and things that are fun that everyone is in the see, which does still change a mind, right? So, like... I mean, 2008, when Iron Man came out, could Black Panther have come out? Maybe not. Could Captain Marvel have come out? Maybe not. But because of Captain America and and Iron Man and the Hulk and the Avengers and all of these superheroes who maybe were kind of mainstream and not seen as making a difference, um, which I still don't think is fair because they made a difference to me, um, allowed for the chance to make these things that are making a huge difference now. And I think having I think mainstream just not get enough credit for the fact that mainstream is what changes mainstream's mind. Um, so yeah that's how I feel about genre fiction and the fact that people <laughs> don't want to talk about it.
0: Yeah. yeah. And you know we've we've talked before off mic about of course. about this kind yeah. of thing. And and
1: you know I could go for another hour. So. Yeah sure. <laughs> um,
0: uh, so importantly I think with with super ordinary also um, I see it when I when I listen to it I, I see it as a kind of coming of age story. Mm-hmm. Right? Since Annika is 17 and in season one, she's telling all of her stories about times that her powers have gotten out of control. Mm-hmm. So, what was important about making Annika a high schooler to tell this story about the link between anxiety and power? Sure, I think I love um,
1: I love teen TV. I like, grew up on MTV. I used to work on MTV. It was really fun. Oh wow! Um, yeah, it's a good time. <laughs> uh, I don't like to throw that one out because it makes me happy. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, I think I think. There's a space about being a teenager, um, especially being like 16, 17, where everything is the end of the world. The Your your hair not looking good in the morning is the end of the world. The wrong song playing on the radio is the end of the world. Because it is the end of the world. Like, it's not, people. I think people look at it and, and say, like, teens are so dramatic, teen girls are so dramatic. I'm trying to remember who it was, but there's a, a male comedian who was just talking about how, like... I uh, don't want to misquote it, so I'll just say the quote. Um, but it was he, was he was talking about how someone had said he was a comedian for teenage girls. He was like, "Yeah, I am because teenage girls love shit. Sorry, love things. They love things so much, um, and like that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and so like, I think when you're looking at something that is as intense as what we're talking about, the super ordinary, there's no other age you can do it at, right? Because if you're Twenty five, twenty seven, thirty, 27 30 and you're having anxiety attacks you probably know how to be an adult about it hopefully like or you know how to talk to someone about it or whatever or you're crossed, you know I you I mean fingers crossed truly <laughs> uh, but like at 17 it, it, it's the end of the world because it, everything else is um and I think having it in that scale was really important yeah Especially the 17-year-old girl. 17,
0: especially the 17-year-old girl with her, <laughs> with her best friends.
1: Yeah, very who important. also doesn't know what the hell she's doing. Yeah, you know, it's, um
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so part of Super Ordinary's Magnetic Draw is that found family aspect, right, between Annika and Bailey, between Max, Aiden, and Jen, and more that show up in later seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so Annika and Bailey and the three celebrity superheroes, let's say, have very distinct teamwork patterns. Yeah, okay. I'm I'm trying to be nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Right, Annika and Bailey (laughs) seem to be a lot more seamless a little bit in their at least communication style than than the other three. So what's important for people to know about forefronting their relationships and also facing them against one another? Sure.
1: So Annika and Bailey, for me, their relationship was the most important thing when I started. Um, My, I mentioned... I don't know if I've mentioned on this specific microphone, but I have mentioned that I went to an all-girls school. Um, and I grew up kind of with this really close female friendship, um, which was really important for me because I grew up uh, just with my dad. My dad's a single father. Um, so growing up with close female friends and a female influence was really important. And I was friends with the same girls from when we all met when we were 12 all the way till I mean, we're, we're still friends today. But those things... Those relationships are some of the most important relationships in my life, right? But I also can look back at them and say that there are certain points we should have talked to an adult, not each other. And that was like a really important aspect that I wanted to explore um, with Annika and Bailey. Uh, I think that level of their friendship is probably unhealthy, just like it was unhealthy when I did it as a kid. Um, but you also feel like you're 17, you're an adult, you're invisible, like... I'm leaving this house in a year like what are you going to do wrong um and uh I wanted to explore that right I wanted to explore like this this platonic friendship and I think hopefully people get that to a degree it's great to have someone you can sit down with and, and have support you um and then uh, there's also a degree that like maybe you should be talking to someone else. who yeah. knows <laughs> what they're doing. Like, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe at a certain point like you should go to a therapist, not your best friend. Um, those those things are very important. So uh, that was that. And and with the heroes, I wanted to explore the idea that uh, these people are being celebrated for something maybe they shouldn't be celebrated by, mm. um, and. Uh, they are trying to be in charge when they shouldn't be in charge. And therefore, that relationship becomes toxic and you got to kind of look at, you know, the power that you're taking on and taking on too much of someone else's problems and taking on too much of your own and where does that become, at a certain point, you have to break.
0: Right. Thank you so much. I just have one small last question for you. What is your superpower? And what is it triggered by? Superpower? Uh, I... uh,
1: I would say, I wish I had one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, I think, I think my superpower is my writing. Like, I mm-hmm. do think um, it's the thing that I feel like I'm supposed to do. Um, and it is triggered by a desire to not fail in life. <laughs> or desire, I, I think it actually, no, you know what, it is, it is uh, I will go back and change that answer. It is triggered by my desire to make people laugh and make people mm-hmm. feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
0: Solid answer. Thank you so much, Marissa. Yeah, it has been really nice talking to you. It been great. Yeah. Thanks. Marissa is someone that I'm so pleased to have gotten to talk with and meet up with so many times. I'm sure I'll see her at Austin again this year. Superordinary just started their season four table reads last Wednesday. And as Marissa said on Twitter recently, I have missed this grumpy little storm cloud. Support Marissa and all of Tandon Productions over at tandonproductions.com support. You can follow Super Ordinary on Twitter, on Instagram, at superordpod, that's S-U-P-E-R-O-R-D-P-O-D, where they post really great behind-the-scenes photo and videos. You can find Marissa at Marissa Kumari, that's M-A-R-I-S-S-A-K-U-M-A-R-I. We also have a Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash revival. For three bucks a month, we post extended cuts of these interviews. And Marissa and I had a really phenomenal talk about stand-up comedy and being a woman in the comedy scene that you'll be able to listen to over there soon. You can follow us on Twitter at radiodrama. Shout out to Ann Baird, the social media manager of my heart. And visit our website at radiodramarevival.com. Radiodrama Revival is also brought to you by Lexapro, Yes, indeedy. That amazing, thrilling, calming medication for depression and anxiety. I was midway through this script when I realized I forgot to take it this morning. So this is your reminder. Have you taken your meds yet? You can yell at me to take my meds at showmark. That's S-H-O-M-A-R-Q. And now? Why? It's Will, of course. I'm sitting down with Super Ordinary's writer and... You know what? No, I don't. Nope. There we go. Okay. Let's try that again. <clears throat> I just um just kept myself from burping into the microphone. You're welcome. This week. Nope. Mm-mm. Tired. Angry. Bad. This week, anxiety with a dose of superpowers. The perils of suffering for your art mentality. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. <clears throat> I can't read. All right. This week, Anx- anxiety. Thanks, Will. What's that? In the distance. Coming closer. It's not a bird. It's not a plane. It's... Try that again. It's the end of episode gong. Hmm. Good morning, Will. Just, um... I recorded. And Which then... means... It's forgot to, to upload it, and then something happened to the recording, and it was bad. This episode so here- was recorded in Portland, Oregon, which is the unceded territory of the Chinook Indian Nation, the Cowlitz Indian Tribe, and the Clackamas Tribe. If you live in the Americas, Australia, or New Zealand, you can learn more about the Native, First Nations, or Indigenous heritage of your area by visiting land. Joey Clift over at Joey Entertainment on Twitter posted a great Twitter thread highlighting Native creatives who he thinks are people to watch in 2020. You can find the link to that thread in the show notes. Give them a follow and support their art. Our theme music is Danger Digadoo by DJ Stranger Danger. You can find his music on SoundCloud. The Nighthound is live on the radio, ready to note and name every caller on this very special superhero credits hour. You might know him as Jay Cohen, our Patreon supporter. Stitching up foes to protect their people is the Diamond Weaver, line producer extraordinaire Will Williams. Breaking hearts and taking names and then doing it all over again is Jet interviews producer Eli McElveen. He brings sunshine and vengeance in equal measure to the dark city as Sunstroke, our assistant producer Sean Howard. Collector of secrets, yes, even yours, dear listener, is Agent Memory. Researcher Heather Cohen. No relation to the Nighthound. The dynamic duo themselves will rage across the sky and sea as the dragon shift in the corporeal forms of submissions editors Ravenwing and Snakefang, or, if you must, Rashika Rao and Elena Fernandez collins Knower of all and willing to part with that knowledge for something in return is Mix Omen, social media manager Anne Baird. Rogue leader and dashing hero, Captain Spark, may light the flame of your revolution. Executive producer, Fred Greenhouse. The deceptively calm smile of this man will surprise you when he breaks out his force field. It's the Jolly Shield, or our regular host, David Reinstrom. (laughs) And that's a wrap for the Superhero Credits Hour. I'm your host, Elena Fernandez-Collins, and this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome. I'm going to redo that sentence because I felt the pop happening and it hurt me. Jesus Marissa is someone that I'm so pleased to have gotten to talk with and meet up with so many times I'm sure I'll see her at Austin again this year.